Thank you, Ashlyn. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here. And some of you already know this about uh, my story, but I, I first became a believer around 18 years old. Uh, it, was a, it was a long and difficult journey in many ways, but there, I finally got to this moment <laughs> with Jesus where I said, Jesus, I believe you are who you, who you say you are. So here's my life. Do with it what you want. And pretty soon after that, here's why I bring it up, pretty soon after that, I was around some other believers uh, and they knew I was pretty new to this thing. So they started saying, hey, you, you, you should be coming to church. Let's, let's plug you into the church. And I said, you know what? I'm cool with uh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but the church thing, church is weird. Uh, the people there are weird. And I'm heart, you know, I'll pass. I'm good. Thank you. And it's funny, right, because now I'm a pastor. Now I'm the, the weird one. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget the, the response I got from one of my friends in that moment. And he said to me, well, I get it, but you know that this church thing, whatever you think of it, this whole church thing was Jesus' idea, right? And he pointed me to this passage in Matthew 16, right? On this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And you'd think in that moment, I'd say, oh, wow, that's, okay, I, did, I didn't know, great, okay, let's sign me up, I'll, I'll do a small group, I'll serve in children's ministry, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, but that's not, a, that's not at all what I, what I did, I read it again, and then I read it again, and I thought, Jesus, what were you thinking? This was your idea? <laughs> uh, now, maybe you've never felt that way about the church. Maybe you, you've grown up here your whole life. You love it. Maybe you didn't grow up here, but you've never had really a struggle with the church. You, you love it, warts and all. That's great. Uh, but I think sometimes uh, w w when we read a passage like this, it reminds us, no matter how we feel about the local church, the gravity of what the church is called to be, what we're supposed to be, and why we exist, why we are here. And you know, most of the time... I, I, it's, we just want Jesus to show up and fix stuff. That's, that's me. I just want Jesus to fix my life and my family, fix the country, fix the world, whatever it is. We just wish Jesus had stayed on earth and kept doing what he was doing. Keep healing, keep raising people from the dead. Keep calling people to repentance. Why did you leave? And yet for some reason, Jesus teaches us here in this passage that he thought differently than we do. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to leave and I'm gonna send the church, that's my plan. You see, you may love the church right away, you may still not be there yet, even this morning, I get it. But either way, what's so shocking to me about this passage is that we are Jesus' plan. We are Jesus' plan. And there is no plan B, there's no backup. <laughs> so the church, for a long time, right, this, think about it, so we're talk, what we're talking about here, this church that lost its way for a, and actually ended up oppressing people historically. The church that began, in some ways, to use the Bible historically to, to, to manipulate people. The church that argued at one point that slavery was God's idea and interracial marriage uh, was an abomination. The church that went to war with itself over how to baptize people, right? The, all the way to the church that fired their pastor because he changed the color of the carpet without asking. Yes, that very church was Jesus' idea. I'm not saying he approved of all those things I just said. He didn't. But this church, it's his plan. And it still is. And there's no backup. There's no bullpen. It's just us. 
all the way down to today, right, this morning, this group of people all around you. I mean, I think Christ Community is an awesome place. Seriously, I love this place. I can say that without sounding arrogant because I haven't been here long enough to actually have had anything to do with that. This is an amazing place. But when we realize that we are Jesus' plan for the world, we're a small part, to be sure, but a part of that plan, when Jesus leaves, we are the hope of the world. And when you put it like that, I think no matter how you feel about the church, you've got to stop and wonder, is this a good idea? Jesus, do you need a minute to reconsider? And yet, Jesus gave his answer to that question on a dusty road outside of Caesarea Philippi about 2,000 years ago. He already answered that question. He lays out his plan for the whole world and for his people, his church, right here in Matthew 16. So let's take a look. If you haven't turned there yet, you can do that now. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 16, starting in verse 13. So here's how the story begins. You just heard it read. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking in the district of Caesarea Philippi, the area of Caesarea Philippi. And this is a, this is a big, important city in the region. It was renamed after Caesar Augustus, right? Caesarea was named after Caesar Augustus by Herod the Great's son, Philip. But then it was called, or before then, before it was renamed, it was called Peneus, after the Greek god Pan. There's a huge temple to Pan in this city. And in many ways, this was a, this was a, <clears throat> it was a beautiful city physically, and in many ways represented all the power structures of, of Jesus' day in Palestine. You've got a, a corrupt Jewish puppet government and the Herodians. You've got Greek culture, Greek religion, Greek spirituality, and Roman rule all in one city. <laughs> and Matthew wants us to see that. He wants that. He, this is the backdrop of what we're about to see. So they're walking around Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus does something that none of us have the guts to do. He asks his friends, what do you, what do you really think of me? <laughs> Actually, first he begins with this. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a, is a nickname Jesus has for himself, basically. And uh, you, you, you gotta remember, in the back of our minds as readers, we've got the Herodian kings, we've got, this, we've got Caesar, but Jesus wants us to know, what about me? What do people say about me? What's the word on the street about me? And the disciples, they start rattling off theories of the day. Some say John the Baptist Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and I don't want to get into why each of these theories cropped up. The point is that I want us to see is that everyone, everyone, even then, had to have a theory on Jesus, everybody. Because you can't ignore this guy. You can't. So people are trying to explain him. They're trying to explain why does this guy have these abilities that he has? Why does he have these authority that he has? You know, and back then, the theories were, you know, is he an Old Testament prophet? kind of in that line. Or if you're a Pharisee, is he Satan himself? That's what they said a few chapters ago. Today, people wonder the same kind of question. We have the same kind of theories. Was he, just, was he a great teacher who began this following? Was he a crazy revolutionary on the wrong side of history? You, but the point is, you still can't ignore this guy. You can't. Everybody still has a theory on him. The disciples are rattling off a few from their day. Jesus, I think, listens patiently. He turns to the disciples after they're done, and he asks what is probably the most important question in the entire story of Matthew, probably. He says, but who do you say that I am? And the you is very emphatic. And you get the sense when you read that question that the, that the answer to this question from Jesus' friends is very important to him. 
And the way Matthew tells it, it's interesting. It's like they've been together for 16 chapters, right? There's so much the disciples have been through with Jesus. And finally, in this moment, it's like he's never asked them before. He finally turns to them and says, we've been talking about them for a long time in ministry, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? What do you think of me? And Peter, in class, if you, if, you've, if you follow Peter's story at all, this won't surprise you. It's like he kind of blurts out, well, I'll tell you what I think. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're God's chosen servant. You're his anointed servant to save the world, and you're, you're the unique son of God. Now, he does, Peter does not fully understand what he's talking about yet. Look at the next passage. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> But this is, you ha- what you have to see here is that this is the pinnacle for the disciples so far. If you've been in Matthew with us for a while, you know there have been so many forehead slapping moments with the disciples. Where, you, where even Jesus has to say, guys, you, you've got to be further along than you are. But Peter here, he gets it. And Jesus says yes. To, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so here you're seeing the beginning of Jesus' plan. He says, I will build my church, my people, on this rock. That's what he says. Now, there's been, I just want to touch on this briefly. There's been a lot of debate over the centuries about uh, whether Peter is the rock. Is is Peter the first pope? I'll I'll just say, I don't want to get into it, I'll just say that Peter was an amazing leader in the early church. There's no doubt about it. He had a prominent, special role in the early church that Jesus gave him. He's clearly very prominent in the New Testament. You cannot read very long in the New Testament without seeing his name. But the point of this passage is not Peter. The church that Jesus promises here is not special because of Peter. The church he promises is special because of Jesus. Peter just happens to be the first guy to put two and two together. He says, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. That's it. This is the foundation of my plan for my people. My plan for the church, says Jesus, begins with me. So what do we see here? Jesus' plan starts with who you think he is. It starts with who you think he is. It starts with Jesus looking at you and us in this room and asking us this question, but who do you say that I am? You see, part of our problem, I think, with this whole plan, this whole church thing in general, is we get so distracted by who attends or who leads. We get caught up in the weaknesses and the frailties and the failures of the Peters and the Johns and the Pauls and the Judases or whatever, all throughout history. But Jesus doesn't build his church on who comes. He builds his church on who he is. That's the power. That's the plan. So ask yourself, Who do you think he is? You've got to answer this question. You have to. Everybody's got a theory, but you have to have an answer. And let me just tell you, okay, there are a lot of ways, I have to warn you, there are a lot of ways to be around Jesus and to be around his church without ever actually answering that question. So going to church regularly is not an answer to this question. Being a good, decent, moral person, a fair person, is not an answer to this question. 
saying I obey Jesus and all that he teaches and I, I try to follow him, that is not an answer to this question. Your parents cannot answer this for you. Your spouse cannot answer this for you. Your friends cannot answer this for you. You must answer. And for those of you who are here and you're not sure yet, you're listening to me and you're thinking, I'm just not ready to answer that yet. That's okay. I'm glad, I am glad that you're here. It takes guts to be here. Second thing I want to say to you is it's, it's a, it's, it's, it took the disciples 12 chapter, or 16 chapters to put this together. It's okay. Take your time. I get it. But whatever, here's what I want to say. Whatever you think about Jesus, whatever, whatever you end up landing on, you've got to account for several things about him. Whatever your theory, you've got to account for several things. You've got to account first for the empty tomb. Whatever you think about Jesus, you have to explain the empty tomb. You've got to explain why even the opponents of Christianity, then and now, claim the body was stolen because they know the tomb was empty. You'll not see in the New Testament argument, you'll not see in the early church fathers, you'll not see today in any uh, materialist New Testament scholar someone saying the body was in the tomb. No one. Because it was gone. And everybody, everybody knows it. Even at the end of Matthew, you'll see the the Roman soldiers come out and they say the body is gone and, and, and Matthew says that's where the theory came from that someone stole the body. Even then, that was the prevailing theory of Matthew's day because <laughs> everybody knew that tomb was empty. You've got to account for the empty tomb and you've got to account for the resurrection appearances that you see all over the New Testament. You'll see at the end of Matthew's gospel. You've got to explain how, as far as we can tell, perfectly sane Jewish men and women ran around claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead and that they saw him. You've got to explain how Jewish monotheists came to worship Jesus as their resurrected son of God and that they died with that belief. They died for that claim. And finally, whatever your theory on Jesus, you've got to explain the church. You've got to explain how Jesus was right about this plan. You've got to explain how did Jesus know that we would be here today with his people in his church talking about this same confession, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He knew it. He, he predicted it. He predicted you. And we're still here 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away. And the church is now on every nation on the planet. How did that happen? You've got to explain that. When you answer the question, who is Jesus? You have to explain those things because here's the thing. And this is, this is Jesus' plan all along. He did not build his people, his church, primarily around what people believe. Belief is important. Don't get me wrong. What you put your trust in is important. Belief is important. But Jesus did not build his church around what people believed. He built it around what people saw with their own eyes and touched with their own hands. At the end of the story, when you read Peter's letters, Peter does not claim to believe Jesus is the Christ risen from the dead. He claims, and John claims, and Paul claims, to have seen and to have touched Jesus the Christ risen from the dead. You see the difference? So who is Jesus to you? Jesus' plan begins with that very simple question, to be a part of Jesus' plan for the world to be a part of his church, your answer back must be, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
His plan begins there with who you think he is. And then his plan is to create a community out of those people. When you say to Jesus, you're the Christ, Jesus will say back, great, now go to church. That's what my friend told me years ago. That's what Jesus says here. It's what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, you get it. Now go build the church. Jesus immediately connects Peter's faith and the church. Now here I need to say something before I get fired. Okay, so my, so my boss, right, your beloved senior pastor, Tom Nelson, um, he wrote a book basically about this chapter in Matthew. I mean, he goes to other texts, but this is the foundation of that, of that book. And you may be wondering, well, if that's true, why isn't Tom preaching this? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> here's the point. The book is about the local church. If you haven't read it, you should, it's good. But the title of the book is not church, it's ecclesia. Why? Because Jesus doesn't speak English. Matthew wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and the Greek word Matthew uses here is not church, it's ecclesia. It says, Peter, go to ecclesia, build my ecclesia. That's Jesus' promise. Now, why do I mention that? Because ecclesia is not a perfect translation. Church is not a perfect translation of ecclesia. It includes it. Here's, here's what I mean. Church is a great word. I love that word. We should use that word. But the problem is, when you say it in English, when you say it to an American, generally, here's what comes to mind. Uh, buildings, programs, book studies, small groups, those are all great things. But that's not what Jesus is promising here. Ecclesia means the called out ones, literally. The community, the people around Jesus, the ones Jesus has chosen to be on his mission in the world. And though that includes our concept of church, it's much bigger than that. Jesus is promising a congregation. He's promising a community built around a common confession that Jesus is the Messiah. That is his plan. And here's why that's important. Here's why I, I say all that. What makes the church the church, the ecclesia. It is not what robes we wear or don't wear in this case. It's not what songs we sing. It's not what style we are. It's not what denomination we belong to or whatever it is. It's our confession of who Jesus is as a community together. And Jesus says, for my plan to work, people can't just believe in me. They've got to join my people, my ecclesia, the people who claim me as Messiah and Savior of the world. And if that's Jesus' plan, then what that means for us is that the church is built around Jesus and who he is and what he wants and not my needs and my preferences and my schedule. You see, it's so easy for us, and I, I, we all do this, I do this, it is so easy for us to approach the church as something it's not. The church is not a social club where I get to pick and choose the kind of people that I want to spend time with and support and be friends with. It's not that. It's not a movie theater where I can, where it's built to, and designed to entertain me and distract me for an hour and a half. It's not a political institution to mobilize around a candidate. It is a called out community on mission for Jesus. It's what it's been for 2,000 years. It's what Jesus promised it would be. So if you are hesitant to be a part of this local church, if you're hesitant to be a part of Christ's community, this ecclesia, 
around you now. Ask yourself why. And be honest with yourself. Are you waiting on a church where everyone is normal and things are perfect and you're never offended? I can tell you right now, this is not the place for you. Are you waiting on a church filled with virtuous and moral people who have their lives together and don't make mistakes and never hurt each other? Keep looking. (laughs) But if you are looking for a church filled with people who are so broken that they are ready to claim God became man and died and rose again to save me. And by the way, that man was none other than Jesus of Nazareth, itinerant rabbi from Roman Palestine 2,000 years ago, and he sent us on a mission to share his good news and be the hope of the world, and you've come to the right place. Our guest table's right over there. (laughs) Okay, that is the ecclesia Jesus is promising. It's the place that we strive to be. We are not perfect at it. But we are 100% with Peter on this one. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that changes everything. And because we believe that, we come here on Sundays even when we're tired and we worship in song and we serve as volunteers and we give of our income and we go to small groups together and we love our neighbors through our work and our school and our families and our friendships. It's why we partner with the global church because God's about the whole world, not just Kansas City. We partner with places like Elon Ministries in Iran who do church planting in Iran. Local groups like Cristo Rey. It's why we sit here for 35 minutes every week and listen to sermons that are sometimes good and sometimes boring. I know, I get it. It's why we put up with one another. It's why we grieve together, rejoice together, forgive each other, and encourage each other because on our best days, I am not the reason I come here. We come here for him and for each other. It's not perfect. We probably wouldn't have done it this way. But this is Jesus' plan, and you know what? He was right, because despite ourselves, we are still here, and we are still confessing with Peter, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. There's one more part of Jesus' plan that I don't want us to miss. It's, It's probably the most profound part. It's right here in this passage. Take a look. Jesus' promise in verse 18. He says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now this phrase, gates of hell, gates of Hades, is kind of weird, <laughs> right? But, but, but back then it really wasn't. This is an idiom. It's a phrase people used. It's a, it's a, it means death, basically. Death. Jesus' promise here is that death itself will not be able to touch his ecclesia. It will touch his people. Okay, Christians die and they suffer. That's next week. But it will not touch the church. In other words, another way of putting that, Jesus' plan, his church, it cannot fail. As flimsy and as vulnerable and as flawed as it may seem to be, Jesus says here, my church will not fail. Even death cannot touch my church. Now, take a minute and wrap your mind around that. Because there is nothing, if if you really think about it, there's nothing more powerful in the human experience, no matter who you are or where you're from, than death. There's nothing in our experience more powerful than death. 
There is no nation, no constitution, no empire, no business, no person, no idea, no relationship, no legacy, no savings account that death does not ultimately destroy. Think about it. Nothing in your life or mine will survive our own death. In three or four generations, we're, we're forgotten, we're gone. Picture it now, Jesus is, in, he's saying this at Caesarea Philippi. He is saying this on the doorstep of the most powerful empire and culture and people that the world had ever known up to that point. But where is Rome now? Where is Caesar now? They're gone, they're dead, buried. And Jesus is pointing out, he, he is showing us here, nothing is stronger than death except his church. Your death cannot stop it. My death cannot stop it. No death for 2,000 years has stopped it. Jesus' death didn't stop it. Why? Because Jesus promised, I will build my church, period, full stop. He promised, and it's this church, he's calling you, he's inviting you to be a part of now. And his, his plan is confusing. I probably wouldn't have done it this way, but I can tell you this, whatever God has called you to do in your life, whatever your vocation, your job, your marital status, okay, whatever, whatever God's called you to do, and he has called you to do something, but whatever that is, there's nothing more meaningful or significant than using those gifts and talents to invest in the local church, Jesus' local church. There's no better investment for your life than this because I'm, don't take my word for it, a man rose from the dead and said, invest here, sign me up. That guy knows what he's talking about. So what does that mean for you today? Okay, I have, I have one simple step. Here it is. Try the church. Just try it. If you haven't yet, just try it. Not just attending, but engaging. Take a next step here. For some of you, that next step might be you've got to start setting aside your cynicism about who Jesus is and really ask the question, who do I say that he is? Who do I say that he is? This is a great place to ask that question. For others, it might mean stop just putting your toes in the water and, and, and dive in. Show up, get to know some people, let them know, get to know you, join a community group in the fall, commit to something, be rooted here for a while. And for others, it might mean, it might mean thinking about serving or uh, even if you don't really feel like it, whether it's here in the building on a Sunday or during the week or outside these walls or to give generously to the church and to engage with our partners like Christo Ray or to tell others about Jesus even though that sounds terrifying. And, and, and if you aren't yet bought into this whole thing, everything I just said sounds terrible. It's like, do you have another one, another idea? I know, I get it. But this was Jesus' idea. Don't blame me. He's the one who said, I will build my church and all over the world in places that we can hardly imagine, he is doing just that. He is drawing people to himself and to each other that have no earthly business coming to faith in him or becoming a part of his church. That's what he does. He's doing it, and he's doing it right here. He's doing it at Christ Community. He's doing it in Kansas City. Take a look around the room. I know we look pretty normal just a bunch of random people sitting here drinking coffee, thinking about donut holes. I know what you're thinking. 
I know also that we all came here with questions and doubts. We came here with anxieties and fears. We came here with failures. We came here with pain and loss. And if you were going to put a plan together to give hope to a desperate world, these are probably not the people you would have chosen. No offense. I put myself there too. But you know what? Despite our frailty and our weakness, this passage says you are built, we are built on a rock. It's a rock that Peter stumbled upon 2,000 years ago on some forgotten road in Caesarea Philippi. It's a rock who died for us on a Roman cross and then changed the world forever. That rock, Jesus himself, he asks us again today, but who do you say that I am? Because in that question, we find our true strength. And when we can say back to him, you are, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Not even hell itself can prevail against that. Let's pray to him now. Father, we stop and I, I, we thank you for the gift of the local church. And when we're honest, Father, sometimes it feels like a mess. But what a beautiful mess you've made. Give us the strength and the generosity and the vision to embrace your local church. Your plan A for our lives and for our city and for our world. And by your spirit, help us to never forget that we are built on the rock, the rock that cannot be moved. It's in his name, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, that we pray, amen. Father, son.